0: shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell Cal Penn is on the line. He is the author of the memoir, You Can't Be Serious, which is a really, really good title for a book because I feel like I'm saying that a lot these days. Um, Also, a former Obama administration official, and I have um, a specific question here on my paper, Cal. Um, It says, strip club story. That's all it says here. So I I will be asking that about Um, that Um, from your time in the Obama administration. Um, And so that was a good – that's a good – That's going to get people to stay in their seats and listen to this conversation. So good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Good morning. How are you?
0: (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a lot to process. How are you feeling given the fact that, like, we're in two pandemics, because monkeypox technically, by definition, is also a global pandemic. So we're in two pandemics. We had an insurrection. The president, like, is being investigated by two federal grand juries, um, a grand jury down in Georgia also, state grand jury. Um, and also, Maya violated the Espionage Act. So how are you doing?
1: Well, I'll tell you. Obviously, that's all unprecedented. And uh, I feel like actually with regards to the former president, this is the first time that I actually feel surprised. And I know that we, we, um, we seem to live in a culture that feigns surprise a lot. You know, like, oh, my gosh, did you read what Trump did? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe he did this. And I've always sort of felt like I believe the man when he says he's running on a particular platform, mm-hmm. I believe him when I see that uh, his policy proposals were the same as every Republican for the most part as far back as I've been alive. He's just had the most successes as, at executing what Reagan and the Bushes wanted as well. And by the way, up and down, you know, Republicans in local state and, and federal level. So I'm like, I, I've, I've been less surprised mm-hmm at that but you know you cross over a line into something that's treasonous and obviously yes that's unprecedented that did surprise me it does surprise me but what also has surprised me in a beautiful way is that you know uh the most sweeping uh climate legislation that mm-hmm. we've had in, in our lifetime. Obviously imperfect, but instead of focusing on the imperfections, I'm sort of the, the type of person that's like, this is wonderful. The fact that it took this much to get something like this done is wonderful. And now let's build on it and let's look to the future. You know, So I, I hear you on all the things yep. that are going wrong. And I, I also feel like focusing on the things that are going right, sort of contextualize the fight and remind us of the successes as well.
0: It's really, really important to always contextualize things because otherwise you can just get overwhelmed um, with all that's going wrong. So in your memoir, um, which I love the title and I love um, the tone (laughs) of the memoir because it's very funny. And, you know, life is funny as a person of color in spaces where you're like one of the only or you're in a position where – You know, you are making history in that particular um, area. And in Hollywood, it feels like, um, you know, the country had a racial reckoning, but so did Hollywood in a lot of ways. I mean, there was a lot of um, conversation and content coming out that was created by people of color. But that wasn't always the case. And you have sort of been in Hollywood for a minute. Um, Can you talk about what you've seen throughout the course of your career in Hollywood? Um, your experiences with racism and microaggressions, because um, you talk a lot about it, that experience in your, in your memoir. Um, but as you reflect on it, I maybe mean, because you, you can look back um, at sort of um, where you started and where Hollywood started and where it is now, um, how do you see the trajectory of Hollywood in terms of how it actually deals with race and um, accepts people who are different? who look like you and me.
1: Yeah, thank you for asking uh, that question, especially in that way. The, you're right. The, you know, One of the subtexts of this book, which by the way, I'll do the shameless plug, Like, would love for folks to read it or buy the audiobook. You'll have like the, the, the way more uh, in-depth version of the answer to this question. But you're right. I mean, look, one of the reasons that I wrote this book was that um, I, I wanted to write something for the 25-year-old version of me. Mm. Um, so somebody who, you know, my parents are immigrants. I, I didn't have... I, or rather, I would not have had access to um, something like the arts were it not for a publicly funded arts program that happened to be in my high school district. Thankfully, um, and so I, you know, I, I like like many other uh, performers of color, started uh, working in the entertainment industry in the late '90s, early 2000s, trying to get your foot in the door. And and back then, the, and and again, like I, I am so thankful and and happy with how things have progressed in the last ten or fifteen years. Um, obviously, there's a lot more work to be done, but if you look at what TV looked like 10, 15, even 20 years ago, I was starting my career at a time when you had shows that were, you know, objectively funny, Seinfeld, Friends. Okay, mm-hmm. Friends, not so objectively funny, but Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they, they were shows that took place in the middle of New York City and purposely had no performers of color. Or if they did, you know, then then the, the characters of colors only... Uh, purpose to exist was tied to their race or ethnicity, right? It wasn't um that there was very little agency there. And these are shows that are still on the air, right? But they were shows that if you were somebody like me, you couldn't, uh, you weren't allowed to audition for them, essentially, right? So your pathways, your barrier to entry was um, was extremely low. You were, or extremely, extremely high, rather. You were only allowed to audition for the things that, um, you know, in the case of me. And by the way, let me just take a step back. Every actor goes through this. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to sound like always oh, me or anything, right? This is what you sign up for. If you're <laughs> a 65 yep. blonde guy, from iowa you're only going out for quarterback parts when you when you start out the difference is those quarterback parts are generally not tied to race ethnicity or any sort of identity and there are more of them and so for Mm -hmm. performers of color your characters are always tied to those sort of uh uh, racial identifiers and and that's not why you go to drama school you know just like nobody goes to med school to be like the black or indian doctor (laughs) you're you're just going to be a doctor like i just so it's the same thing for for artists. You know, I go to theater or film school because I I want to I want to uh, go into these industries. I'll give you one example. I don't know how much time we have. We um, have until
0: eight twenty three. That's what they told me. They told me the okay. exact time. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll, I'll, I have my team saying the same thing. Okay, so I'll I'll talk <laughs> fast. There's a story that I tell in the book about an old show uh, called Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It was mm-hmm. a kid's and <clears throat> I remember I, I I had the chance to audition for the show, and I was very excited about it. It was just a couple of lines. This was a few years after I graduated uh, college. It was just a few lines. And like like every actor, you know, those parts are hard to get. So I created this whole backstory for what the character was. All I knew was you have three lines. You are a college freshman in the study group of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the lead character. And so I prepared like, okay, in my head, this guy is from the Pacific Northwest and he likes small batch organic coffee. And I'm going to wear <laughs> panels because he likes Nirvana and Pearl Jam, like just things that you don't. That, that every actor sort of does but it's it also sounds funny and ridiculous if it's only three lines so i went into the audition i i thought i did well and as i was walking back to my car the casting director was running after me and he said hey man can you please come back in the producers and director would love for you to do it again um and getting an instant callback is wonderful right so i went back with him and right before i stepped into the room he goes just so you know this time they want you to do it with an accent mm-hmm. And uh and this is something that was very regular, right? This, is just, this story is one of hundreds.
0: Yep. And so I walked
1: back in and I said the thing that I usually used to say at the time. I would wait for them to say, we'd like you to do it again with an accent. And I would say, um, sure, what kind of accent would you like? I can do Scottish, Irish, Brooklyn. You know, I would just feel like off on this list. And they were never <laughs> amused by this. So this case, they, they sort of leaned in and go, why don't we just stick to Indian? And the, this, was a, this is always a decision point uh, for me and for other actors who, who uh, go through stuff like this, where you kind of figure, all right, I, I have every right in the world to leave. And so I, I'm sorry, that's not something that I'm interested in doing. Uh, also, an accent alone does not make a stereotype. Plenty of people have accents. The challenge is if an accent is used to mask subpar writing, then it's about something other than the quality of the role or even the ability to entertain people. But I, my rent was due, my rent was I think five fifty dollars a month and that job five twenty five, dollars something like that, right? So it was like, okay, I could make basically my rent this month just from these three lines. So I said, yes. And I, I did the audition with an Indian accent. Uh, they laughed harder than anybody should laugh in a show about a talking cat and witches. But, um, but I ended up getting the part. And I, I remember having a conversation with my agent. I said, is there any way you can talk to them and ask them if I can just do it without the accent? Like that's how I auditioned first. And she said, look, if you know you're taking the part anyway, which I urge you to, because any performer, but especially a performer of color, you need a credit on your resume in order to get more auditions. The only way you can get those credits is by taking parts like this. You just have to. That's just the reality of it. If you don't like it, then, you know, there are are other things that maybe you want to do. But if you love this, if you if you want to enter this field. That's the calculus right now. So I said, yeah, I agree with that. Nobody's forcing me to do this. So I had a conversation with the director the day of the shoot, where, where the agent said, why don't you just talk to them person to person. And so I found the director the morning of and I said, hey, thank you so much for casting me. I was wondering if perhaps I could play this role without the accent. And he goes, oh, no, that accent's really funny. So you're going to do it. That's why we hired you. And I said, "No, I hear you, but you know, I thought it would be really interesting. I- I've never seen really characters who look like me who don't have accents, um, and I just thought it would be an interesting opportunity to, you know, make the jokes land without that." And he said, "No, I understand that, but uh, no, you're you're doing the accent." And then this thing popped into my head that was like, you know, they say that that racism stems from ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe I'm just not making my case. So I said I'll be cl- I'll be honest with you, you know, a kid who looks like me growing up not being able to see themselves on screen or to only see sort of a, a reductionist stereotype, it it feels like maybe your options are limited in the world. And so I have little cousins who love this show and I thought it would be really cool if maybe they could watch a show like this and see characters who remind them of themselves. Mm. You know, wouldn't that be amazing? And he looks at me and he goes Oh yeah. Well, listen. Your little cousins should feel lucky that you're allowed to be on TV to begin with, and so should you. And he walks off. <laughs> and so, uh, so, it, so. Number one. All right. Not not all racism comes from ignorance. Quite a lot of it comes from very purposeful negligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and number two, it was the same decision point. You know, I, I could leave. I, nobody was forcing me to stay. Although at that point, I had to accepted a job so there were certain contractual issues but I could have left you know but I chose not to I chose to do what he wanted me to do to get that credit on my resume and and work my way up now the reason to go back to your actual question the reason I tell these stories in the book is that things like that thankfully happen far less today than they did 15 or 20 years ago they still happen Um, but the, part of the reason for that is the industry has changed. The other part of the reason for that is that communities of color have uh, had uh, have created ra- rather opportunities for ourselves that have made big bigger companies take notice of what's profitable, what's not profitable for them. And then the streaming platforms, quite frankly, don't have to look backwards to create content. So you've got Hulu, Netflix, Amazon. They're not advertiser driven models right. primarily, and so they they don't ad driven models tend to look backward to see what's worked in the past for advertisers and that's what they tend to do in the future. But if you're a streaming platform, you can just base it on the content and on subscriptions and, and go from there, which is one of the reasons we've seen so much incredible diversity the last decade, I'd say.
0: It's so, so true. I I love that story too, because I think for a lot of, even if you're not an actor as a person of color, I think you can relate to that story. You've always, you've definitely been in a situation where you're like, should I leave? <laughs> <laughs> I probably should leave, but I need this paycheck, <laughs> but I probably should leave, but I have bills. <laughs> um, so I, I did spoil sort of the story I wanted to talk about. I, there are two stories I want you to tell, and okay. maybe you can pick them or truncate them and tell both. So you had an awkward moment with Michelle Obama, and so this is the thing that we both share. Because I completely embarrassed myself in front of Michelle Obama also. So okay. I want to know what happened so it, to see if your story is more embarrassing than mine. And then two, you took the Office of Public Engagement to a strip club by accident?
1: No, um, okay. Thank you for asking that. Okay. I wasn't sure which. There are two strip clubs.
0: <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Both, both embarrassing. <laughs> both self-deprecating. Uh, <laughs> the, the I'll tell you the second one first. So I I, I, uh, I had the chance to work for about two years, a little over two years administration primarily as the president's um, point person on outreach to young Americans so in the public engagement office and on my first week there um, I went to go get a haircut and there was a guy the guy who was cutting my hair was very friendly very gregarious had all sorts of questions um, he recognized me from some of my work as an actor so I was trying to be polite but also like I wasn't trying to get my haircut to like bro out with this guy you know I just wanted my haircut and then yeah. I had to get work so I was trying to be polite I wasn't fully understanding what he was asking me and he kept saying um, hey you know in addition to being a barber I own a tapas bar you should come and I was like oh yeah sure I'd be happy to I'm getting to know Washington DC then he said you know you should bring your whole office you should bring the whole office of public engagement and I said sure that sounds great maybe for a holiday party or something we can even rent it out you know trying to like be supportive of a small business owner and all that Mm. but I wasn't really paying attention he hands me his card when I'm home that night, I'm emptying my pockets and I look at his card and I realize it says, Rodolfo's ladies, Topless bar. It was not a tapas bar, it was a <laughs> top bar. And the combination of me basically like talking to him while I'm on <laughs> my phone, not fully understanding. I'm like, there's no reality in which this barber is inviting the White House Office of Public Engagement to a, to a strip club, but of course he was. Uh, and so the next day I had to go in and tell my boss like, hey, I don't think this is gonna be a Politico story. I think it was an innocent mistake but unfortunately I did commit that we were perhaps going to be renting out the space and she was like, that's hilarious and disturbing and uh, <laughs> uh, please don't call him to clarify because then it will become a news story. In a that is case.
0: so funny. Okay, that's really, really good. When did you bar- embarrass yourself in front of Michelle? Oh, right. I'm mom
1: curious mom. about your story too. Oh, uh, well mine is short.
0: Yeah. It's It's literally like she's standing in front of me. It's my first time meeting her. And I go, of all the things you can say, you look pretty. Oh, okay. And she was even like, are you sure that is what you want to say? Uh, and I was uh, like, I don't, I can't, there are no words, other words right. coming. Right, I'm right. stunned into silence. That's funny. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> it's really, really embarrassing. I'm still
1: embarrassed. Uh, uh, I, I, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> also, because these embarrassing moments make great stories after the fact. Yes, so. that's
0: true. That's true. Um, so what's
1: yours? I'll you, yeah, I'll give you the bridge. <laughs> so if folks who are listening, if you only know me from either playing a stoner or a doctor, and then you heard that I went to go work for the first Black president of the United States, you're like, how did that happen? And how could you possibly be qualified to take that job? That is all in the book, in the audio book. But the, the gist of it was I applied on a website that the Obama campaign had sent out to those of us who had worked on the campaign for a prolonged period of time. And um, I uploaded my resume. I didn't tell anybody. And then during inauguration... Uh, Um, my manager, my acting manager was my plus one at an inaugural event. And Mrs. Obama said something casual, like, I hope you stay involved. And my manager called me out and said, well, you know, Mrs. Obama, he applied for a job at the White House. Nobody even called him back. And she looks at me and she goes, who did you apply with? And I just blurted out, I just put my resume on change.gov. The look that she gave me was like, what is wrong with you? And by the way, this is a great way to wrap up. The reason I did that was, I feel like so often we live in that space between um, imposter syndrome and feeling like we owed something, and so I didn't want to deal with either of those, so I never told anybody I applied for a job. Ah. And when you do that, it feels like, to other people, it feels like maybe you don't care. Yeah, And of course I did care, I cared very much, so... That was embarrassing myself, but it also led to an opportunity to interview for the job that I wanted to apply
0: you said for. Cha- I put my resume on change.gov, it's yeah. so Why funny. We know each
1: other? Why wouldn't we reach out?
0: <laughs> that is so funny. And she's like, what? Um, Cal Penn, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, the book is You Can't Be Serious and it's also available in audiobook. So everybody get it because if you've enjoyed this conversation, there are so many more stories in the book and it's hilarious and really, really great. So thank you so much for being here. Um, It was really, really terrific to have you. Please stay safe.
1: Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.